Before I left a couple of weeks, I had been teaching a series called Taking Up Space. Anybody remember that? It was really about healing. And um, so what I did was I got to number three and thought, okay, number four is coming. And there was a topic and I was like, okay, next week. And then the Lord dealt with me uh, to do two different things, but we're back to taking up space. And I've been waiting for this one. And so we're going to uh, pick up there about healing and we're going to talk about the response of faith or how people got or didn't get or walked in or didn't walk in when Jesus was on the earth. And they are examples for all of us. So if you will, open up your Bible to Mark's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at a few passages here. So we're going to cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. But I believe this will answer some questions for some people. Because sometimes, you know, if we're religiously taught or we don't know, we'll just say, you know, well, I prayed and God didn't heal me. Or, or you know, I prayed about this or, you know, whatever. And it, it just didn't work. And um, people don't realize that the answers are in the book. They're in the Bible. The Bible is inspired by God, and it's protected by God. That's probably something we should add. Because people will admit, yeah, the Bible's inspired, but, you know, after it's been translated so many times, they act as though God couldn't protect it. And keep it. Like, you know, it's you, like if you got a phone book, eventually people move and uh, certain numbers, you know, I don't even know if they, they still have phone books, but, you know, certain numbers become no good. Or you call them and you end up getting somebody else. Isn't that true? Because people change their number. There's not a number in the Bible that got changed that doesn't work. But some people don't know the numbers. Amen? So he said, oh, I could quote the verse. No, that's not the issue. There have been times where uh, I've talked to people, or it was even me, where you're like, okay, I see this, but I really didn't. But when I did, boom, I got answers. You, you, you there? And so sometimes we've heard something, and we thought it said something, and we're convinced it says something, and our whole life exists on what we think it said, then we found out, well, it didn't exactly say that. Yeah. Hallelujah. And so we dialed the wrong number. Have you ever done that? I've been emailing, and you haven't gotten back to me, and they're well, like, read it back to me. And they're like, well, you know, there's a period right there. How many of you know this? If you don't put a period or a letter or something like that in an email address, it's not getting to that person, even with your good intentions. You could be the sweetest person. You could be the most holy person. Sincere. And the minute you push send, it's not getting there. And you know, you could be an absolute jerk and put the right numbers in and you're going to get results. We should have got an amen for that, right? I mean, isn't that true? I mean, I could be a jerk and put in the wrong, all the right numbers and push send and boom, I got it. And you could be so much nicer and... and but you don't put the right information in. Well, praise the Lord. I'm going to be leaving on vacation again. No. <laughs> Mark 5. Let's look at some times when people got healed and what happened. And uh, in all reality, when we read this first story here, um, this lady was breaking the religious rules of the day to do what she's doing, what we're about to read about read about. So she wasn't like perfect even in but she approached correctly. So Mark 5 verse 21. It says, "Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him 
and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, actually this, the next story is the woman. She's in here. This is a religious guy. Sorry. And behold, and because I've been debating, do I read the other one first or this one? So if, the, if we had two services, I might read it backwards next time. I was debating it actually right now. Anyway, we'll just keep reading. And behold, one of the rulers, verse 22, of the synagogue came, to, came, his name was Jairus by name, and when he saw him, or Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. So Jesus is there, and this guy comes up to him and says, Jesus, I want you to come and lay your hands on my child. Well, that's cool, but that's not all he said. Notice, he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Verse 23, Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed. And notice this phrase, and she will live. Notice how this guy came to Jesus. You have to ask yourself, how do I approach Jesus? How do I approach His Word? Many times, uh, we're not always approaching, I should say maybe not us, but people are not always approaching like this. You come, you lay your hands on, she will maybe get it. Notice that she may be healed. In other words, this is going to happen and she will live. She's going to live. You just come, you lay your hands on her, she's going to live. How in the... Well, wait a minute. That wasn't Jesus talking. That was the guy. You come, you put your hand on her. Well, they knew that people were anointed by the Spirit, they lay hands on, that power is going to go into them. And he didn't say, well, I've come for prayer, you just pray for my daughter, and you know, we'll just see what happens. Maybe it'll be, maybe it won't be. No, he said, you come, put your hand on, she'll be healed, she'll live. And the child's at the point of death. He has no proof, he's just putting his trust in the Lord, and his trust is an absolute. His trust is an absolute, and his trust was not just heart-bound, something he held in himself, it was something he expressed. Now, we've been taught, you know, as faith people, to confess the Word. But I'm afraid, for some people, it has become, uh, oh, i got to say the right thing, and I just say the right thing, that's not this. That's not this. He is saying the right thing. But you notice, he's totally like, listen, you come and do this. This is going to happen. It's going down. She'll be healed. She will live. Come and do it. Some people will confess something and go, what's the problem, Lord? No. Notice he had no proof. And we're talking about how to respond, or, you know, this is part four. This is really how these things work. You with me? Verse 24, it says, So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now this that other story I was going to start reading first, but I'm not, because obviously I read that. We're going to skip down to where we... Uh, meet back up with this guy. Verse 35. It says, And while he was still speaking, and that's to this other situation we're going to read about in a minute, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher or the master any further? Now, wait a minute. He said, You come... You put your hand on her, 
she'll be healed, she'll live. That's where the story got left. So Jesus is going there. Why, why would he say something like that? Well, if you're familiar with the Bible, people who got answers in the Old Testament and other times with Jesus always talk like that. But it's not an issue of talking like that. It's a matter that they believed like that, therefore they talk like that. It wasn't just say the right thing. No, it was a total belief system, therefore they talk like that. And so verse 35, when he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher or the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, because here's the thing. He's already believing. He's already got his faith out there. You come. The healing will take place. And this kid, this living. So you would think, uh-oh, it's gone too far now. Right? It's gone up another notch. Jesus recognized this guy is believing and is expressing his faith and is acting his faith so he said, do not be afraid, only believe. In other words, don't get in fear now. This isn't over. And he permitted, notice this, no one to follow him except for Peter, James, John, and the brother of James. Notice this, the situation's gotten worse. Right? We've got a situation here. So, um, we're going to have to not allow everybody to come to this prayer meeting to raise this person up. Only Peter, James, and John. That means nine other disciples plus others did not get invited to the party. wonder why that is. I wonder if some people can be in doubt and unbelief and they were followers. He said, um, we're going to have to cut you guys out. They were all going until the situation got worse. Isn't that true? And he permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Obviously the family too. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult. Somebody's like, what's a tumult? It's this Mexican dish? No. And those who wept and wailed loudly, it was a bunch of people just carrying on. And notice verse 39 is super important to this story. It says, And when he came in, he said to them. Now notice, why did he say something? He wanted to find out where these people are. Because part of these people, he said, you guys don't get to go. Just you, Peter, James, and John to get to come. come. The rest of you guys are going to have to hang back. Now he's got more people who are there, and he's about to thin the crowd again. And when he came in, he said, why make you this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. This, in other words, this isn't permanent. He's already got the family or the ruler of the synagogue going, Listen, put your hand on, healed, live. Verse 40, and they ridiculed him. In other words, they didn't say, praise the Lord, you're going to raise this one up. They ridiculed him. What do you mean he's sleeping? This person's sleeping. But when he had put them all outside. Well, we don't need them either. <laughs> he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talithi kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately. This is where 
that man's faith met with Jesus right here. This is where it had to happen. Come in, put your hand on the child, the child would live. Don't get in unbelief. Don't you fear. Let's go. Right? He came to the place. There's doubters there. They're not believing this. You guys are going to have to leave. We don't need people breathing on me. All this doubt. You're just going to have to go outside. You'll get to see the end result. Don't worry. But you don't get to be in here. You don't get to work the atmosphere with your unbelief. Go on. He goes in, puts his hand on her. Bam. Arise. Just like the guy believed. Notice, immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years old, and they were overcome with amazement. Isn't that interesting? He said, this is what will happen. That's what he believed. Some people want it to happen. Some people desire it to happen. But he didn't just desire it. He said it will happen. And he didn't just say it will happen. He believed. I mean, it sprung forth from a persuasion. Now let's look at the story that we skipped over that I had considered reading first. Verse 35. Actually, I'm sorry, verse 25. Now a certain woman, now this is in this crowd that's going to the ruler's house, who they didn't get invited after a while. Right? He cut the crowd off, the nine. But now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had been attempting to get things fixed. Rightfully so. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So it wasn't like, I mean, this isn't something you can have for the rest of your life because your rest of your life is ending because it's getting worse. And so Jesus here, as he's traveling, it describes this woman who came. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said. Now she said this beforehand. Notice how the ruler Jairus was. Touch, be healed, boom. Live. And it happened. Then you've got this woman who is not supposed to be in public, according to Jewish law, because she has an issue of blood. This is again, she could get stoned to death for this. She's supposed to be yelling, unclean, unclean. According to Jewish law, if she gets in a crowd, she's not even responding to that. She has heard about Jesus, and she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She wasn't telling everybody. People didn't tell her. Now say this. Confess this. We should confess the right thing. But this confession was based on what she believed. So when I touch him, I'm going to get this. And so she just worked to touch him. That was all that was left. That was it. So, notice, immediately, I'll be made, I shall be made well when I touch him. So she got up and started acting. There was no reason for her in her own eyes to go, unclean, unclean, unclean. She's like, I'm going to touch him. I'm going to be healed. This is going to be the end of the program. My life is going to be different from now on. How did she get this faith? She had heard stories about Jesus healing, it says. She heard of him, so she trusted. Then she expressed her trust in words. 
immediately the fountain, verse 29, of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? He noticed power went out. But, there, but remember the story? A whole multitude is touching. But power's not going into all of them. Only to the one who believed and said, when I touch, I'm getting it. My life is changing. That's it. And so, when she touched, who touched my clothes? Who touched? She touched. But remember, that was her point of contact. The minute I do, I'm healed. And power jumped out of him and went into her, and he didn't even know who it was. He, he didn't know who it was. Somebody said, well, Jesus knew everything. No, he didn't. He didn't lie right here to make her, well, who did that? Well, I really know it's that lady. Who did this? The disciples said, you see the multitude touching, and you're saying, who touched? And he's like, well, I just got to say this so everybody thinks I, you know, just putting on. Who touched? No, he didn't know. And he looked around, verse 32, to see who had done this. But the woman, fearing, trembling, knowing she had experienced, changed, healed. It happened. At, just like she expressed and believed. Knowing that it had happened in her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith. Your faith. What, what, what did her faith look like? It was something she internally believed. Something that, that she confidently expressed and acted like it was a fact and acted it out. Period. She's smart. She's where I'm going. This is what I'm getting. And while he was still speaking... I'm sorry, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Then we pick back up in the story where we were before. But isn't it interesting how both of these came to Jesus and said, Lord, you know, we know you're powerful and everything, and if you want to heal her or heal him or heal me, that would be great. You just pray for me and let's see what would happen. Neither one of them were like that. Both of them were super confident, Super inwardly persuaded. Not The crowds were not. Neither crowd was in agreement with them. If you're unclean, you don't get to go out in public. And the others were ridiculing this stance. Not going to be raised up. So you've got these two people who are persuaded. This is, and it's happening. It's mine now. Or it's my servants now. And these things are written so we can know how to get things. How to walk in things. You with me? Now, this just happens. We've read that chapter. Now we're going to go to Mark 6.1. Right after this. Now, how many of you would believe, man, Jesus is in the healing ministry? He's raising the dead, healing, you know, his, I mean, these things are, this news is following him. Verse 1, then he went, 6-1. And understand this, when we teach about confession and saying the right thing, some people have learned to say the right thing. You need to learn to say the right thing, but you need to believe the right thing. Because you can teach people to repeat things, but man, you believe it. You be sincere and act. Notice this. Then he went out from there where he was with Jairus, right? Because that's where he was before. And then he went to his own country and his disciples followed him. So now all 12 of them are with him. 
And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? Or this wisdom and this understanding and all this that's happening? And what wisdom is this in which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Ah, they're, they're questioning what's going on. How, how does this happen? Verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? So you get this point here that he has just seen some phenomenal miracles a dead child raised to life, a woman that had a bleeding issue for years and years, instantly got healed, and then in that process, raise up a child and go right to this city. You know his reputation, because it said, would spread. So they're like, man, this dude's raising the dead. And notice they're hearing this, and then they're like, hey, his brothers and sisters are here. And notice it says, so they were offended at him. They were offended at him. Notice they didn't say, praise the Lord, you just come and lay hands on us. You just come and pray for me and my headaches will leave or my pain will leave or this torment will leave. You just come pray for me. Who is this guy? Notice their belief was not what the other people's were, but that didn't stop Jesus from trying, but it did stop Jesus from being effective. Notice verse 4. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor or high regard. See, they were regarding him lowly. In his own country, among his own relatives, and among his own house. You guys don't see me for who I am. That's what he basically said. You don't respect the gift. He was the son of God, but he was a prophet too. Verse 5, now he could there do no mighty work except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, the Greek reads, with minor ailments, which it would have to mean that because he said he couldn't do mighty works. But heal a few sick people with minor ailments. No mighty works. No mighty works. But he had just got done doing a mighty work. Two mighty works. And now he can't do any mighty works. And the only difference is, is the individuals, not him. Because he still attempted. And he couldn't get it done, but they're like, who is this? Come on. They weren't believing something. They weren't persuaded and going, yeah. That's it. This will work for me. Who is this? Man, they're totally, their wrong attitude was short-circuiting things that could have happened. He attempted to do something big, but they had, their thinking was tweaked. Even with their wrong attitude, he tried. They just needed to change their attitude and go, he's able. Just fire away. Now, he could there do no mighty work except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, really with minor ailments, because he couldn't do mighty works, it says, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Notice, we got people who are getting results, people who are not getting results. But he said, daughter, your faith made you whole. You guys didn't get it because of your unbelief. Don't blame God. Amen? It, it comes down to, do I really believe? Or do I just want to see? Hallelujah? Do I just want to see? Or do I believe? 
There's a massive difference. Because uh, when you just want to see, you're just really hoping maybe it'll happen. Now, gift of the Spirit may manifest, and they do, and hallelujah. But we can't force those to happen. But this, boom. Everybody alive? Well, Mark 9. And we'll, we'll cut through this real quick and uh, look at some interesting things here. Because remember, Jesus had gotten results, gotten results, and the only difference was not what was Jesus doing, but what were the people doing? Isn't that true? The only difference. He went and laid hands on Jairus' child. The woman touched him, but then he went and laid hands on them and couldn't do some mighty works. No mighty works. Only mild things because of their unbelief. In other words, they didn't say, Hallelujah, Jesus is here. All the miracles He did there, they're happening here. As a matter of fact, I'm getting mine right now. The minute He prays for me, I'm receiving. You, you didn't hear that, did you? No, not with them. Mark 9, verse uh, 2. And we'll go through this real quick and we'll tie some more things in that I think will be quite interesting. Mark 9, verse 2, says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, John. Notice those three again come up in this story. Notice who's not with them. Are you guys paying attention? The other nine. The other nine. The other nine. Where were these three last? With Jesus. When the guy... His child got raised. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and He was transfigured before them. We're not going to go through that part of the story. Look down at verse 9. Now, as they came down from the mountain, so there's a big thing that happened, but think of this. Peter, James, and John went up they had this huge experience. Now Peter, James, and John, and Jesus are coming down. Let's look at verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, He commanded them <clears throat> that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. Now verse 14. So now we see Peter, James, and John approaching or walking with Jesus. They've been up on the mountain. The nine are not there. They're down below. These are the ones that were asked to stay aside before when the, when the stakes got higher. Then when the stakes got higher, certain unbelieving people that shouldn't have been, that ridiculed, you're going to have to leave the room. You with me? And so, here they go. Uh, they, the three of them The three of them with Jesus, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, now it was obvious that it's the four of them, he and the three. When he came to the disciples, that's the other nine, he saw a great multitude around them. And it said, in, and scribes disputing with them. So you got people, he sees his disciples, and there's people disputing with them. And it says here, Immediately when they saw, verse 15, him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? In other words, what are you talking to my disciples about? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, in this what? Jairus said, teacher, same same response. Teacher, remember, teacher, come, lay your hand on, healing will happen, she will live. Same thing. Teacher, teacher, so you know he's going to say the same thing. I brought you, my son, I'm sorry, answered and said, Teacher, I brought you, my son, 
who has a mute spirit. But he didn't get to Jesus. He got to those nine. And it says, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. In other words, there's an evil spirit that is driving this man to do things and he's under its control and it's affecting and bending his life. And it seizes him and throws him down and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid like a board, you know. So I spoke to your disciples and they could not cast it out or spoke to them that they would cast it out, but it says, but they could not cast it out. Now let me just make a statement here. He said they could not cast it out. That's that man's opinion. That is not a Bible opinion. Right? Uh, huh? Keep your finger there. Or if you're on a tablet, you don't have to because you can go right back. Mark 6, right after the unbelief and he was hindered, notice what happens in Mark 6 verse 7. And he called his twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Luke says all unclean spirits. All of them. All of them. All of them. Over unclean spirits. So twelve of them have this power. They go out and start doing it. Now we see them here. And he said, they could not cast him out. Well, technically they could. And he answered him and said, verse 19, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Now notice he didn't say powerless or a generation without authority. Notice he didn't say, you don't have power to do this. How long shall I suffer you, or how long shall I bear with you, bring him to me? Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, he fell down to the ground. Now let me just stop real quick before we read on. Remember, he brought him to how many of the disciples? Nine. Nine. This wasn't all of them that didn't get the results. This was nine of them that didn't get the results. Three of them weren't there. Those three were there when the dead was raised, but they're not here, and it didn't happen, and your disciples could not, and it wasn't that they couldn't, they didn't. They missed it somehow, or he missed it somehow. And they brought him, verse 20, and when they saw, he brought the demon-possessed to him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed in foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father. Notice he didn't freak out and go, oh my goodness, everybody pray right now. Everybody start confessing the word. Jesus, I mean, this, this kid with this demon is flopping around like a fish on the ground. And Jesus just looks at him and said, at the father and said, uh, how long has this been happening to him? So many people want you to panic, but if you get in faith, you don't have to panic. Jesus didn't panic when the kid went from being sick unto death to dead. He didn't panic, and he told the other guy, don't you panic. Don't you fear? And he said, from a childhood. And after he has thrown him, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Things that would drive people to kill themselves are not God. And thoughts that come to people doesn't mean they got a demon, but that doesn't mean something's not talking. People ought to talk back and say, I resist you. There's a lot you could say because the enemy will always try to take hope away from people.
But if you can, and it said, and often to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Notice this guy came, not like the ones we saw that got results, and said, notice the ones who got results said, come, come and pray, or do this and we'll receive right now. We, we'll get it. My servant, my child, or me, I'll be healed right now. It was because that's what they believed. But this guy went to Jesus to see if. So he goes to Jesus, but he runs into his disciples and he gives them a shot. He said, I brought him to him. They couldn't. Now notice, all of a sudden he said, and how many people are thinking, well, why? Well, Jesus for sure will. But notice what Jesus said. So he answered him, I'm sorry, Jesus said to him, verse 23, so he said, have compassion and you do something about this. Help me. Jesus stopped him right there and said, no, if you can believe. Jesus may have ended up not getting the exact same results the disciples. The disciples attempted to do it. Maybe they should have turned the table first on the guy and said, do you believe this will happen? You open the door? You know, many people open the door to sickness, a pain comes in their body, and they go, I must be getting the flu. Oh, th this must be going bad, instead of saying no. And then they open up the door. Well, these, this guy's like, well, I'm just going to see what's happening. What's going to happen? I'm just going to go down front and get prayer. Well, it didn't happen. You, if you can have compassion, Jesus, you do something. Jesus said, no, wait a minute. If you can believe, you got to express your belief. I want to know, can you believe? That's why I ask people when I go to pray with them, you know, if you believe, and sometimes you think, dear me, you're going to have to push the door open because people are like, okay, just pray for me right now. No, we should come up and be going, what, we, what do you believe? We all know that if we ever were going to lead somebody to the Lord and get them saved, we wouldn't go, they, they it wouldn't be like this. Well, just save me. If it's God's will, you save me. You would turn the table on him like Jesus did and say, well, do you believe Jesus died and rose again? No, but I just figured if you'd pray for me, we'd see what would happen. We know what would happen. Nothing. And they would leave with no results. And then they'd say, see, it's not always God's will. God saves some. God saves some and some he doesn't save. You never know his will. No, you would flip the table on him and say, here's the truth. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Do you believe that? Well, well, then you're not ready. Yeah, I do. I do believe. Well, will you receive him now? And there are people who will go, nah. I've had friends say no. I had one friend who say, I still got a lot of stuff I want to do. Like sleep around with people and stuff like that. He's lost. He said that. Okay, well, then, then I can't save you. Now, let me just pray for you and see if the Lord will say, you all know he wouldn't do jack. Now, he, he may bless them, he may move on them and convince them, but God's going to need their cooperation. And so Jesus knew this. This is all through the Bible. And so he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Do you believe? And so immediately the Father made an expression just like the others did. His was shaky, but he made it. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I mean, those disciples could have cast this thing out. They could have worked with the man and got him lined up too because this man has a say-so in this. He's the child's parent or the parent of the child, you know, and so he has a say-so. You know, if you got kids, you, you got a say-so in it. And if you're lackadaisical about it, it can affect them. Hallelujah. But then it's true with you. 
How do you approach the Lord? Well, I'm just going to come up and see if it'll happen right now. That's not how you come. You come going, I'm getting it. And you don't just say it. You say it because you believe it, because it's true. You with me? Well, what if it doesn't work? Quit listening to that. Lord, I believe. Unbelief, stop that. You know he was struggling in his head. He had just watched a failure, but now Jesus, instead of having a failure, flipped the tables and said, wait a minute, if you can believe, it will happen. He said, I believe, and then the kid gets set free. You with me? So, interestingly, with this stuff, our response based on things is huge. Based on what He's provided. I want to close with this Scripture right here in Ephesians 6. Because if you'll notice here, obviously God is the factor, but there's a human factor in this. A human factor. That's why Jesus said, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. And we just saw some expressions of people who believed or didn't believe. And, and think about it. The people who believed correctly got results, but it didn't matter if Jesus was there or his disciples were there. Certain people didn't get results when their believing was wrong. And, and it's not just an issue of saying something. Amen? It's an issue of believing. I mean, you could believe for your back to be healed. Or not. And go on with lower back pain. Hallelujah. But it takes a positive faith. You with me? Ephesians 6.10, a familiar verse. We're going to close with this. And it's real interesting when you look at it in the light of these scriptures we just read. Notice this, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, people will hear this and they'll interpret this themselves. I'm trying to be strong. But that's not what he said. But you can hear this and hear this, but not hear it. He didn't say, be strong. He said, be strong in the Lord and be strong in the power of His might. Didn't it say that? Before you're going to win any battle with the armor and all this stuff and win victory in prayer, He said, the basis of the whole thing is you've got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now think of... Think about this in the light of what we heard. I came to your disciples. They couldn't. Can you? He said, no, you got to believe. In other words, you've got to become strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In other words, you need to do something with the power of His might. You have to do something with the power of His might. You be strong in it. In other words, you could say it like this. You need to use His power. Didn't, didn't they give power? Didn't they have power? But they didn't get it in use. But once they believed, it happened. How many people have received a healing to lose it later? It comes and goes and because they don't use the power of His might. It's the truth. They don't use it. And he said, if in this, the whole context here is getting answers to prayer and getting answers from God, but they don't use the power of His might. And they say, see, it came and left. It came and left. When did that ever happen before you got prayed for? No, never. But you need to use the power of His might and say, say you leave. You, you can't stay. I mean, wouldn't you use the power of His might when you uh, got tempted? I hope you would. If I got tempted, I'd say, I resist that. I'm dead to sin. I wouldn't go, oh, oh, I'm tempted to sin. You would use the power of His might. In other words, I have new life. 
I'm dead to sin. I, I have life in me. Therefore, I'm going to express in line with that power in life. I'm free. And I'm going to act according. And I'm going to believe I'm dead to sin. So I'm not going to entertain that even if it persists. Notice this. I'm going to read this in the International Standard Version. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, relying on His mighty strength. Rely on His mighty strength. Rely on His mighty power. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to trust and believe that what He said is a fact. And that if you declare it, you're relying on His mighty power. You're relying on His mighty strength. And if, and if I say, I resist you, Satan, I'm not trying to see if he's going to leave. I'm relying on His power to back that. I'm going to be strong in His power. In other words, I'm going to use His power. I'm going to use His might. You're going to use His might. You're going to use His power. I'm trying no, use it. I'm trying. No, use it. There's a vast I'm trying. No, use it. If I gave you keys to a car and said, go start this car, and you say, I'm trying. No, do it. Start using it. I'm trying. The only reason you would be trying is if you're doing something wrong. Like, oh, I hope this works. No, notice how they were. No, this works. It works now. Here we go. Well, we're just waiting on the Lord. No, you're not. Ooh, shouldn't have said that. No, we're not. Now, there are things we wait on the Lord for His plan to unfold. But even in that, if you're not taking steps, it'll never unfold. Because you don't got a burrito to unfold. You're not near it. You, you get what I'm saying? Everybody alive and well? So if we believe, then we can go... I mean, if somebody was watching and they were not saved, they could say, wow, I'm going to get saved today. I'm just going to call on the name of the Lord. If somebody else is watching, you know, and this, and they're like, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to save me, you know, in His good time. Well, we all know because we know enough of Scripture, one of them's going to get saved. The other one's not until He changes. And when He changes, He will get saved. But if He does not, He will continue on in that path and he'll be sounding religious. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on this to manifest. I'm waiting on my salvation. And it ain't going to happen, Jack. Huh. Think of what another week of vacation would have done. No. It, it, this is a help to us. Because we can say, it doesn't matter how good, how bad. You just go, I believe what he said is so. Faith is really acting in line with the Word of God, believing it and declaring it and acting on it. It's so. Period. If He said I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. If He said I'm free, well, you know, I don't know. I just struggle so much. Well, I understand. But you're going to have to change. And I'm just, I've been asking the Lord to help me. Maybe He wants you to believe what He said. Amen. Instead of looking at the giants... And declaring unbelief, start looking at how big he is and that he already bought it for you and got it. Amen.